This morning is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, this is one of the three major feasts that Israel celebrated, ordained of God in the Old Testament. God had promised to Israel that he would be their God and they would be his people, and he commanded them in the feasts of the Lord that he had given them that on three occasions... All Hebrew men were to return to Jerusalem to come to the temple and to worship and to celebrate God. And in the first instance of these feasts, we see some great events. And these feasts are, in fact, the timetable for God's purposes. The first feast is the Feast of Passover and the Seder meal. We know that it began in Egypt, didn't it? as God was calling a nation out. It went in as a family and incubated there till it grew into a nation. And God brought that nation out on the day of Passover. And on Pesach, as God had called them to slay the lamb and to put the blood over their doorposts, the death angel would pass over the house of the Israelites. And that feast is to celebrate that there the people of God being saved, redeemed, and delivered out of captivity into the promised land. And how many of you know that's when Jesus came and died as our Passover lamb so that as the lamb of God, as his blood was shed, his blood is put upon the doorposts of our hearts so that death is conquered, the grave is finished, And our Passover lamb has set us free to enter into the promised land. Amen? And that's the feast of Passover. These three feasts are feasts of harvest. And so God has harvested his people. Fifty days after Passover comes the feast of Sukkot, or the feast of firstfruits, which is the feast of Pentecost. And Pentecost is a term used in the Old Testament Septuagint, meaning in the Greek, penta meaning 50. 50 days after Passover comes this next feast when those of Israel are to come and celebrate the grain harvest and to come up to Jerusalem. It is also the time when it's originally started, 50 days after Israel was brought out of Egypt, went into the wilderness, arrived at Mount Sinai, it was there that God was giving Israel the law to Moses as a covenant people, that the law of God was now theirs. And the Ten Commandments were written, and God made covenant with mankind, or should I say Israel, on that feast of Pentecost and that's what they celebrate the giving of the law now that day didn't turn out too good how many of you know that because as Moses was in that cloud receiving the covenant order of God the people were just a little bit perturbed they they were out in the middle of nowhere and they lost their leader into a cloud somewhere you think the glory would have been enough to suffice that hey maybe he's getting something good from God But man, in his uh, carnality, these people wanted to worship something, and all they had an understanding of was to go to the familiar, and they wanted to worship some image because they couldn't get past that kind of worship. How many of you know in order for you to go to the next level of God, you got to get rid of some of your idols? 
Some of you are worshiping things from the past that because God moved 20 years ago, you think that's how he's going to move again, and you want to build some golden idol to it. You can't put God in a box. How many of you know that's why the Holy Spirit is formless? He has no form. He is a spirit. You can't conform him to an image. He moves where he wills, the Lord Jesus said. As the wind blows, you can see his impact and his effect, but you don't know when and where. Can we give up all the old forms and look for God and just say, come, living God, move among us? So they began to build something. I love Aaron's uh, excuse. He took all the golden earrings and the gold that the people gave him, threw it in the fire, and he said, Mo, Mo, I don't know what happened. This calf came out of the fire. You liar, you liar, you liar. I'm a sculptor. You cannot do that. It is a form that was sculpted, it was smelted, it was poured, it was cast, it was taken apart, it was cleaned up, it was polished, and it was put on a stand. And they began to worship. Moses, and God says, something's brewing down there, Mo, you better take care of this. And he goes, oh my gosh, as he starts coming down, Joshua's with him and he says, it sounds like war. And they arrive there and there they are, they're worshiping a golden idol a calf that they called Yahweh, Jehovah. Thou shalt have no idols, no other gods before me. Right? Law number one, broken. Day number one. Makes me think Adam and Eve did the, probably took just about a day as well. And so Moses makes them destroy the the statue grinds it up makes them drink the the pieces of gold from that idol and on that day three thousand were killed god is serious god is serious and he had the levites kill three thousand the priests because god is trying to establish himself set apart from all other gods he is holy he is the lord and you can't conform him to your image you have to conform to his and Jesus is that image. That's the day of Pentecost. And it's fascinating that on that day, it's the same timetable as Jesus died on Passover, 50 days later on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is released because as God gave the law to Moses on that day, he has written the law now in our hearts and the very spirit of God's nature, his own holiness, comes to abide in us so that that law is written on our hearts and we can live in righteousness, in sanctified holiness to the Lord. And on that day, instead of 3,000 dying, he who came to bring life, 3,000 were saved. The third feast that they're to come uh, back to Jerusalem for, to celebrate, is in the fall. It is the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, that they celebrate God's provision in the wilderness, and they uh, look for the return, and we see that that is, in fact, the feast that Christ is coming again. And we know that at the Feast of Trumpets, Jesus will return and come back to this planet and rule and reign for a thousand years. How many of you are ready for that? Amen? Amen. But we're not going to jump ahead to that day we got to deal with this day. For it's on this day that there were 120 in an upper room, Acts chapter 2. 
They were huddled in that room. They saw the risen Lord. The testimony went out that Jesus rose from the dead. Up to 5,000 saw him at one time. He came back to his apostles as eyewitnesses of that resurrection. They began to pray. They began to seek God. They drew lots. They, they, to, they knew that they needed to restore uh, the position that Judas had left. And, and so they prayed and drew lots. And Matthias is the one who is restored as that 12th apostle. And as they're in the upper room waiting and praying, it is the day of Pentecost and the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It's the sound of a wind, but it was the presence and movement of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, so some of you are waiting for the wind to blow. You're waiting for a sound. You don't need a sound. The Spirit of God can move. It just happened to be so ferocious that he moved in such a way that the Spirit began to pour into that house. They were behind locked doors, afraid. They didn't know what to do. But the Spirit of life and the Spirit of boldness came in, broke into that room, and began to settle over their head as flames of fire. Each person in that room. It wasn't 118 people. It wasn't 119. It was 120 some of you are thinking, if I were there, I'd be the one guy in the corner with a little flicker that's trying to go. <laughs> no. It's here for all of us. And today, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is here and available to all of us. Amen. Now, I'm wondering what it was like in that upper room as they're waiting and tarrying in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. Jesus was with them 40 days. Then he ascended up. So we got 10 days left, don't we? 10 days in an upper room. No air conditioning. 120 people. How many of them would have wanted to go home? too afraid to go home. They're too afraid to, get, to separate. They're too afraid to, to independently move out. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what God's doing. How many of you know we're in a day and an hour just like that? Right now. This is not the time for us to separate. This is not the time for us to go home. This is not the time to be hot and bothered by the humidity and the, and the temperature of our culture that is rising and coming against Christianity. Because there's one equation in this Bible that I will never forget that always rules, and that is this, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Is sin abounding? then get ready for tongues of fire. Get ready for a mighty rushing wind. Get ready for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Most of us look at the book of Revelation completely wrong. We look at it as the enemy just rising up and taking over the world. But what you have to understand is God is allowing that sin to increase so that His grace can abound even greater. The greatest revival this planet has ever seen is going to take place during the tribulation period. There are more people that are going to be saved at that period of time that in Revelation 14 it says you can't even number the number that were saved in that period. And so on that day, the Spirit of God poured out in that upper room and they began uh, to speak in other languages. Xenolalia. And Xenolalia means the languages of the known world. As the Spirit came, it's the Spirit of God who began to speak into them and restore the languages that were scattered at Babylon, dispersing the nations. This is the power to draw all nations unto Christ. 
in any language, in any voice. It is a call that if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people. Now go into all nations, all ethnos, all people groups and preach this gospel of salvation. They began to go out into the streets busting loose. I thought they were afraid. I thought they were tired. I thought they were all hot and sweaty. You don't care when you're filled with the Holy Spirit what the situation is. There's only one way for this human body to respond, and that is to give praise to God, to celebrate and to be excited, and to let everyone know He lives, He lives, He lives. He lives in me. Amen? And they bust out of that room. Can you imagine 120 people trying to get out of one door? I never thought of that till now. It's just the way my mind works. Just busting out into the streets and they're praising God, praising God. Now remember, the population of Jerusalem has mushroomed into uh, from 10,000 people to 100,000 people. Pentecost, everybody's there for the celebration. They thought they got done with this Jesus thing 50 days earlier. They thought they were done with these Christians. But busting loose in the power of God and in boldness, they begin to speak and begin to declare the good works of God, it says. And there's one work that is above every work. And there's one name that accomplished it above every name. It's the name of Jesus. They begin to bust into the streets and they begin to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in every tongue and every language. People are going, what's the deal? These are Galileans. These are ignorant people. Nothing good comes out of Galilee, Nazareth, and all those people over there. And they begin to spread that news. And people are beginning to hear. On that day, Peter stands up among that crowd. The one who once denied Jesus Christ now with the boldness of the Holy Ghost can stand on a milk crate, uh, some kind of crate, some Jewish crate. And he stands up there and he begins to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you Jews who killed him. Come on, he's just nailing it. He's just going out for it. And he's saying that this is the fulfillment of our scriptures. This is the fulfillment. And this is that. I love that phrase. This is that which Joel prophesied. This is that. You know what? you got to have evidence. Faith demands substance. Faith demands evidence. We say we're Christians. And people have to see some evidence, some substance, so that you can say, this is that. That's what we should be saying. This is that which the Bible talks about. This is that which the New Testament speaks of. This is that which is Christianity. This is that. Amen? How many of you want to be this is that Christians? Come on. I got half of you. I'm not done yet. I'll convince the rest of you. This is that. Look at, look at, point to your neighbor and said, this is that. Now point to yourself and say, this is that. That's what Jesus died for. Evidence, substance, a reality of the kingdom of God represented here on planet earth. In your corner of the neighborhood, where you're sitting at your cubicle at work, this is that which God spoke of. And let me read to you what he said. He speaks of Joel's declaration, Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18. He said, in the last days it shall be. Peter has just declared what dispensation this is in church history. These are the last days. From the day of Pentecost, this is it, folks. These are the last days. Happens to be 2,000 of them so far. That's a lot of years, a lot of days. 
But there's one thing I know. If these are the last days, we're near the end of the last of the last days. You can see Israel as a nation. The signs are there. This is that which God spoke of. And so Peter declares these are the last days. And so every promise in the last days belongs to us. And this is what he begins to declare. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What does he mean by that, on all flesh? Does he mean that every single human being will have the spirit of God poured out on them? No. What he means is all people groups. Because the, the, the Jews were the stewards of the mysteries of God. They held the oracles of God. They were the nation that was to be the witness to all other nations. And on this day of Pentecost, the floodgates are open. That's why God had them speak in all the languages of the world to represent all the nations of the world that he's calling unto the Lord. And so I will pour out my spirit upon all people groups. I don't care what your ethnicity is, the Holy Spirit is here for you. There's no male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. I don't care what your occupation is. I don't care what your living standard is. I don't care what your economic situation is. I don't care what your gender is or your nationality. The Spirit of God is here for you. Come and drink. Come and drink. And that's what Peter's calling out. And then he goes on and he says this, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That means that it's not going to be over with this generation standing in the streets. It is going to continue. It is going to perpetuate. And your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Oh, that all the people of God could prophesy. That was a declaration made by Moses 2,000 years before that. When Moses cried out because Jethro, his father-in-law, said, Moses, you can't handle all these problems with these people. He said, take your elders and put the Spirit of God on them so that they could go prophesy. So he prayed, and the Spirit of God moved and went on them. Sound familiar, right? And then uh, Joshua comes, and he's a little bit upset, and he goes, Moses, there's two other guys running around in the camp. You didn't lay hands on them, and they're prophesying. And that's when Moses cries out a prophetic prayer for the day of Pentecost saying, Oh, if all God's people could prophesy. And guess what? You can, you can, you can. Read 1 Corinthians 14. I'll read it for you a little later. And so all of us can prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your children shall prophesy and it shall pass through the generations and it shall continue to keep going. Someone needs to tell the cessationists that. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. It's because the old guys fall asleep too quick. (laughs) We have anybody 30 and under here? Please somebody say yes. You are to see visions. That's your mandate. Anybody considered old? (laughs) You figure that debate out. You're to have dreams. Dream dreams. Visions. Visions are a present active move of God. What you're seeing God do and say now. Dreams are what's coming and the understanding of what God wants you to accomplish in the future. So we have present tense activity of the Holy Spirit and future activity that you're seeing on the horizon. How many of you know we need young men and young women in the church? We need some attention to today. 
We need to hear the word of God for today and for today's generation. They're seeing visions for today. And how many of you know that we need some old folks to see into the future? Amen? You see, there is no young and old in the spirit of God. But God is giving these gifts. Come on, that's what he's equipping his church to do. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Prophesy. About 30 years later, Mark begins to write down in his gospel the activities of the church. And because Peter is in old age and locked up in Rome, many of the Roman believers are asking Mark, because Mark became Peter's scribe, saying, Mark, could you write down some of the statements of Peter as an eyewitness as he's been preaching? We need to hear. And so Mark begins to write down the gospel of, the, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's writing Peter's memoirs, and it's called the Gospel of Mark. And at the end of the Gospel of Mark, he begins to declare what is being seen throughout the church, throughout all the provinces and the then known world. And he says this in Mark 16, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. They will drink deadly poison and it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. These are dynamic, active moves of God in the church. And speaking with other tongues, now that the, the message was on that day of Pentecost when they had xenolalia, now it, it is uh, glossolalia, the speaking of the kingdom language, whether it is of men or angels, uh, that is speaking forth by the Spirit of God out of our mouths. Whether we are speaking in tongues or whether we are prophesying, we're making the declarations of God known. Amen? Now, that happened. And in the early church, we have that testimony. You can see it in all the early church fathers. Irenaeus, Justin, and, and many of them quote and say that the very acts that you see in the early church are happening among us too in our house churches and local churches. And so this movement was powerful. By the time that uh, around uh, uh, 60 to 80 AD, uh, they're, they're declaring that the then known world was already turned over by these apostles and eyewitnesses. That's how the fire moves. But then something happened in church history. As this gospel is penetrating the Roman Empire, which is uh, ruling over the then known world, Constantine comes along and here an emperor gets saved and knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins to uh, minister and in that time uh, the churches come together and they're solidifying their doctrine and the canon of scripture. And after... Uh, that emperor, Theodosius, in 380, makes an edict of Thessalonica commanding Christianity to be the Roman religion. So now what happens, as Christianity flourished to so, such great measures, it now moves into government, moves into the land in such a way that politically it is now the, wor the world religion of Rome. 
And what happened was you no longer needed to be born again by God's Spirit. You just needed to be a Roman citizen. And Rome and the church come together and it becomes politicized in 380 A.D. And from that point on, as you look at church history, the gifts and the flow of the Holy Spirit begin to tank. Because now we have people who are gathering together who aren't even saved, but given the title of Christian by the government. And so what happens is that activity then becomes formalized and it becomes a religion. And the activity of the Holy Spirit now becomes suppressed for so many years. And so what are we going to do with Pentecost? Well, it got so bad through that Roman religion that even in fact until the 1500s we had those who were fighting for the true Christianity. There were pockets of monks and monasteries and those who had the move of the Holy Spirit here and there throughout. The Spirit didn't leave. He's still ministering. But it was so low grade that in fact by the time the 1500s came along a man named Martin Luther had recognized that salvation itself was in peril of being lost. The biblical concept of being justified by faith alone, not church membership and not some sacramental effort, but in fact by faith alone, by the grace of God, it had to be rescued. The very issue of salvation had to be rescued. The church had gone so cold and so spiritless. And the Reformation in 1517 lit a flame again for the power of God. And Martin Luther begins talking about the gifts of the Spirit as well. He himself begins to prophesy. You have it speaking uh, in tongues in different areas. And Zwingli comes along uh, for the Reformation. And Calvin comes along for the Reformation. And the Word of God begins. And those who protest against this form of religion begin to bring forth a revitalization of Christianity so that the Spirit of God can move once again. And over 200 years, that spirit begins to move and move, and there is such an upswing that in the 1700s, revivals begin to break out around the world. The Spirit of God is again beginning to move in the church because the church is now truly born again, and they're truly looking for the move of God's Holy Spirit. And revivals break out in America. The revivals break out around the world and in Europe. Men like John Wesley come forth, and revivals, uh, John Huss, and, and different revivals begin to break forward. And as they break forward, we see the great awakenings happening in the United States and moving forward. And then people like uh, uh, throughout church history are beginning to press in. Charles Finney begins to press into the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit that's breaking loose. Tongues begins to break loose. Prophecy begins to break loose in the 1700s and these outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And as it begins to penetrate, people are hungry and hungry and they begin to understand and recognize that there is an outpouring and there is an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so across the seas uh, over in a country named Wales that people are praying. Evan Roberts is praying for an outpouring. Uh, Wales is known as a revivalist nation. It has revivals repeatedly till it has a great outpouring. 
at the turn of the century to the 20th century, the rise of outpouring and revivalism and the move of the Holy Spirit grows to such a place that in the, in the 1900s, as it breaks forward, the Welsh revival busts loose on the world scene. And it begins to penetrate and move to the place where the 1900s become the, the 20th century becomes the century of Pentecost again. Hey, guess what? You're in it. It moves from Wales to a place called Azusa. On Azusa Street in California, it begins to bust loose. It begins to bust loose in revivals in Kansas City through Parnham. And Bartleman, it begins to bust loose, and in 1907, there's a break, and the Holy Spirit begins to just pour out over the United States. And this small little church, uh, uh, pastored by a black man who, who heard about the Welsh revivals, when he went to Kansas to study and learn about them, he wasn't allowed inside the room, but he sat out in the hallway to hear about the revivals that were taking place in Wales, and the power of speaking in tongues, and praying in prayer language, and prophesying, and sick being healed. And he came back to this little tiny church that busted loose with the Spirit of God. And it began to bring revival and people from all over the world began to come to, to uh, the Azusa Street Revival in 1907. Word gets over to a man named William Durham. William Durham in Chicago heard about this outpouring. God had been stirring in him a hunger in 1907. He goes to the Azusa Street Revival, sees what's happening. God busts loose on him. He's baptized the Holy Spirit. He comes back to Chicago and he begins preaching in Chicago about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, about the day of Pentecost, about what our sons and daughters should be doing, about how we lost it, but now it's back. God's pouring out in the Holy Spirit. And there's a bunch of disenfranchised Italians in that city of Chicago. And they're tired of their church that they go to. And they're trying to find a place that's preaching. And they hear William Durham. And as they hear, hear William Durham, these two Italian men, Ottolini and Francescon, come. And they begin to hear this man preach in Chicago in 1907. And the Spirit of God busts loose in Chicago. And there are two denominations that are birthed in that place, the Assemblies of God and the IFCA, or the International Fellowship of Christian Assemblies. That's us! Yeah. And God breaks loose in these Italians that are in Chicago, and they begin to go out because they understood that when the Spirit of God falls and moves with such great power, it is a Spirit that calls to the nations. It's a Spirit by which we are to intercede, evangelize, and bring in the harvest. These are harvest feasts. These are things given to us so that the harvest would come in. They began to go back to Italy. They went to Argentina. They went to South America. They began to go around the world, and the IFCA began to grow internationally. There was only one problem with the IFCA. It's why it didn't blossom and, and explode like the Assemblies of God. Because they had come out of Italy, and they had come out of the suppression of Mussolini, and they had come out of the oppression of the Roman church, they did not like organized religion. So they decided not to be organized. In fact, in their history, they were called the unorganized church of Christian assemblies. I would not advise putting that name on your uh, group. 
But we've lingered as a church. We've lasted and we've continued as a small movement. We've got about now about maybe 70 churches in the United States, but thousands around the world. And uh, we've continued through all this time. Though the assemblies has risen and, and done many great things, there is still a remnant of a church from Chicago outpouring, from the Azusa outpouring, from the Welsh Revival outpouring, from the 20th century outpouring, and that's us and that's this church, and we're going to do something about it. Amen? So this is Pentecost Sunday, and I'm giving you a history lesson of Pentecost and what happened in its original form, how it started, and what's taken 2,000 years, and you're written in this history. You're about to do something in this history book because today, this is 2019, and as the Spirit of God is moving and rising up, what is Christ Community Church going to do with Pentecost? If this is Pentecost Sunday, I want that Spirit, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Amen? I don't want to just be saved, and I don't want the Holy Spirit just to be housed in me. I want the Holy Spirit to be released and move and flow out of me like rivers of living water. And so, Christ Community Church, what are we going to do? What is our Pentecost? When will we celebrate the day that the Spirit of God is unleashed in this house? If we can have 120 in an upper room that God, by His grace, by His sovereignty, pours out upon them... Why can't he take this 200 group and why can't he pour in us? Why can't we find the Welsh Revival here? Why can't we find Azusa Street here? Why can't we have a Chicago experience here? What are the qualifications to be saved, to want God to move, to be hungry, and to open our mouths to worship and to exalt the living God. And if you lift him up, he says, he will pour his spirit out upon his people. And so I offer to you, my friends, the full-flowing Pentecostal experience of the Holy Spirit. But you've got to open your mouth and praise him. You've got to be hungry for the Lord God. He will meet that hunger by pouring out by pouring out and by pouring out. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you say, I'm hungry, Jesus. I'm hungry, Jesus. Can we just kill all the cows and the idols that we've made? Can we get rid of the uh, religious Christianity that has been established over the years in our lives? You see, I happen to believe that most of us have routed the same route that Pentecost did in the church. You got saved and it was glorious. And then you entered in a period of religion that had brought it down into just a, a dull hum. But I'm telling you, there's a day of revival for every one of us that this Holy Spirit would reach out and pour out. It's time for us to say, this is that which God spoke of. Amen? So would you lift up your hands this morning? Uh, would you begin to praise Him? Look at, you don't need music. You don't need a song. We just need the voice. There is a song that God loves above every other song. It's the human instrument of the voice that the Holy Spirit speaks out. And the Holy Spirit manifests through the instrument of your windpipe. Come on, begin to praise Him.